states. 360 degrees. Ha ha. 360 degrees. Ha ha. 306. 306. 360 degrees. Ha ha. Yes, good evening everyone and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. We are broadcasting live from Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as the Bay Area. We are your host tonight, Free Will and Franklin, alongside Hannah Wilson. And tonight's show features voices of the world's climate movements and their various efforts to address the climate crisis. We at the Apprenticeship Program grow out into the streets to cover important protests and events. Last year, we were at San Francisco Civic Center for the Rise for Climate, Jobs, and Justice March held on September 8, 2018. On tonight's show, we will highlight our interviews with activists from that march a year ago. We'll also bring you Greta Thunberg's speech at the United Nations. It was one powerful moment in this past September's worldwide climate protest led by youth. It's also our fun drive, so we'll be asking for your support to help us continue our coverage of important events of our day. We've got some great thank you gifts and all that tonight on Full Circle. Stay tuned. Okay, good evening, everyone, and welcome back to Full Circle. Um, To open up our coverage of the climate crisis, let's listen to a collage that includes a range of politicians, some who are climate change deniers, along with climate activists. This collage was produced by Radio Shack, a member of the apprenticeship program group Audacity. When you talk about foreign policy, as important an issue as any is the issue of climate change. If you talk to the CIA, and if you talk to uh, the Department of Defense that I have, what they will tell you is that one of the great security issues facing this planet is the fact that uh, as we see more and more drought, as poor people around the world are unable to grow the food they need to survive, you're going to see migrations of people and international climate. And I happen to believe that when you talk about foreign policy, At the very top of the list is the need for the United States to lead the world, to work with China, work with Russia, work with India in transforming our energy system away from fossil fuels uh, and into energy efficiency and sustainable energy. And this is not just a quote unquote environmental issue. This is also a global national security issue as well. It is an international crisis. And I have to tell you, without being overtly political here, it is an embarrassment to me that we have a major political party called the Republican Party, which with few exceptions refuses to even recognize the reality of climate change, let alone is prepared to do anything about it. That is an embarrassment that you have a major party refusing to listen uh, to science. We are hurtling toward the day when climate change could be irreversible. I've seen sea levels already altering this nation's coast. China's capital is choking in its worst pollution of the year. Five percent of species will become extinct. Sea levels rising, glaciers melting. 
Global warming, which a lot of people think is a hoax. I don't think it's a hoax. I think there's probably a difference, but it, I don't know that it's man-made. The earth will end only when God declares it's time to be over. Uh, man will not destroy this earth. This earth will not be destroyed by a flood. And when it comes to addressing climate change, let's take action. But let's be smart and pragmatic about it. We should focus on realistic solutions to prepare for the future. Most experts believe by 2083 in 70 years, the benefits of climate change will still outweigh the harms. We're going to still see the oceans rise, temperatures are going to increase, Miami's going to be underwater. They continue to burn fossil fuels. We're still going to have a water problem. We're still going to have droughts. We're still going to have severe weather all around the globe. I do not believe that human activity is causing these dramatic changes to our climate the way these scientists are portraying it. Scientists are saying that humanity and its behavior is contributing towards that. I can't tell you what percentage of that is due to human activity. And I think many scientists would debate the percentage. You don't really expect to abolish the EPA, do you? Well, there are a number of federal environmental laws that we will still need to enforce, but my belief is the EPA in its current form cannot be reformed. The earth is warming, and I think that uh, humans contribute greatly to that warming, and we've got to, I think, be more astute about the research we do. There are a bunch of scientists who feel that this is a problem and that maybe we can do something about CO2 emissions. Back in the 70s, uh, a lot of scientists felt we were moving toward and I say, do you believe in climate change? And do you believe that humans are contributing to a warming world? I do. Uh, the question is, how do you address it? We are making a very significant change to the chemical constituency of the atmosphere uh, and the oceans, um, and one that is almost impossible to reverse. You know, when we look back on on these days in the future. We want to be able to say that we, we did the actions that were, were right, the actions that, that were important, because I think it's very difficult to say, you know, if you go, say, 20, 30, 40 years in the future, you know, what do you say to your kids or your grandkids? The year 2078, I will celebrate my 75th birthday. If I have children, maybe they will spend that day with me. Maybe they will ask me about you. Maybe they will ask why you didn't do anything while there still was time to act. You say you love your children above all else, and yet you're stealing their future in front of their very eyes. The scientists all say that these bad things are gonna happen. It's like 97%. It's like, say, well, to your grandkids or kids, like, well, did nobody tell you? No, it's like, no, everyone was telling us. So why didn't you do anything? What's the answer? Um, I think it's very important that we do something. What we do now and in the next few years will profoundly affect the next few thousand years. We can create a world with clean air and water. Unlimited energy. I've been put on this planet to protect wildlife and wilderness areas, which in essence is going to help humanity. I want to have the purest oceans. I want to be able to drink water straight out of that creek. I want to stop the ozone layer. I want to save the world. And you know, money? Money's great. I can't get enough money. And you know what I'm going to do with it? I'm going to buy wilderness areas with it. Every single cent I get 
go straight into conservation. And guess what, Charles? I don't give a rip whose money it is, mate. I'll use it and I'll spend it on buying land. All right. Welcome back to Full Circle. You just heard a sound collage of politicians and activists on the climate crisis produced by our very own Radio Shack. Thank you, Shack, for that great audio collage. Well, I hope that stirred up some reactions in you. It sure did in me. Next, we're going to be hearing what a speech that many of you may be familiar with. 16-year-old Swedish teen activist Greta Thunberg addressing the United Nations. Her one-person Friday strikes in front of the Swedish parliament have helped ignite a global movement. Last month, on Friday, September 20th, 2019, masses of youth poured into the streets on every continent for a day of global climate protests. Organizers estimated the turnout to be around 4 million in thousands of cities worldwide. The youth are worried about their future on a hotter planet and angry at world leaders for failing to take stronger preventative action. Let's hear Greta Thunberg's potent speech at the United Nations on September 23rd. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. And all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? How dare you? For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. How dare you continue to look away and come here saying that you're doing enough when the politics and solutions needed are still nowhere in sight. You say you hear us and that you understand the urgency. But no matter how sad and angry I am, I do not want to believe that. Because if you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil, and that I refuse to believe. You are failing us, but the young people are starting to understand your betrayal. The eyes of all future generations are upon you. And if you choose to fail us, I say, we will never forgive you. We will not let you get away with this. Right here, right now, is where we draw the line. The world is waking up. And change is coming, whether you like it or not. Thank you. Welcome back. That was Greta Thunberg speaking at the United Nations on September 23rd. 
And Greta is not alone. From Alaska to Puerto Rico, New York City to Canada to London around the globe, youth activists are demanding a livable planet. Even more, a thriving, healthy planet. Is this too much to ask? They demand. And before we move on, we want to remind you tonight that we are raising funds for KPFA. If you appreciate this station, KPFA, and all the coverage we have done around the climate actions, please take a moment to show your support by making an eco-friendly donation to this listener-sponsored radio station at kpfa.org. If you would like to call, the number is 1-800-439-5732, and that's one 800 Hey, KPFA. And just to put it out there, we do have a match. Um, Thank you, Marla in Santa Rosa. She has offered $300, and if we can raise that, she will um, pitch that in to make it $600. So if you can, show your support for the station that brings you in-depth coverage on the climate crisis. Not only that, but remember, we were out in the streets with the activist communities to bring you live, on-the-spot interviews as the actions took place back in 2015 with the March for Real Climate Leadership. That's four years ago. Jerry Brown was still the governor. It was the largest climate rally on the West Coast, and the apprentices were there. We were there in 2018 for the March for Climate Jobs and Justice, and we're here today for you in 2019. If that is radio that you thrive on, kpfa.org is the place to make a secure online eco-friendly donation. Or, like I said, you can give us a call at 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. And in the midst of these pg e blackouts and future emergencies, we have a timely gift for you tonight. For a donation of $300, you can get an emergency preparedness kit. Each kit contains enough emergency supplies to sustain two people for three days in a ready-to-go backpack. And you can make that donation at $10 or at $30 a month to get that $300 emergency preparedness kit. One more time, the number is 1-800-439-5732 or 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Or you can go to kpfa.org and make a secure online eco-friendly donation. And I just wanted to throw in if that kit doesn't work for you there's lots of other gifts that you can get with a ten dollar a month donation which is you know chump change these days not for everybody of course but you can get t-shirts a water bottle a tote bag a pullover hoodie and on the back of the hoodie it says vigilant as always um there's socks there's beanies you can go to kpfa.org and you can see all the gifts that are available thank you gifts all right so now we're going to go back to our programming and back in time to a year ago. On September 11th, 2018, women climate activists from around the globe gathered in San Francisco for the Women's Assembly for Climate Justice. The day-long assembly was organized by the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network, known as WECAN. The Women's Assembly was a part, part of the week of actions, including the largest March for Climate the West Coast had ever seen. So as a member of the First Voice Apprenticeship, I was at the assembly to record the voices of these fierce women activists. So coming up, we'll hear Marissa Zuckerman, a representative of the Sunrise Movement, as she spoke at the Women's Assembly. Sunrise is a group of youth climate activists who are promoting the Green New Deal. 
Hi everyone, thank you so much for having me. It's um, a real honor to be here. My name is Marissa Zuckerman. I am 24 years old and I'm here on behalf of Sunrise, which is a movement of young people uniting across the country to fight climate change and create millions of good jobs in the process and elect leaders who will stand up for the health and well-being of all people. I uh, grew up in Oakland and I've lived here for most of my life. And I can tell you that I have never seen anything like the beauty that has taken over these streets in the last few days. And I just want to thank you all from the bottom of my heart for uh, showing up on Saturday and Sunday and yesterday and this whole week. Uh, we created the largest climate mobilization the West Coast has ever seen, the largest street mural ever. And, and we made history in so many ways, but the best part is that this is just one piece of the ecosystem of movement and momentum and action of this week and this year and this moment. So Sunrise Movement launched uh, one year and four months ago on the day of the last People's Climate March in Washington, D.C. last April. Sunrise was created by young people who have watched our politicians fail to take the action we need to prevent catastrophic climate change for decades and felt a deep sense of anger and disillusionment and loss and heartbreak. We look around and see inequality and violence everywhere against the earth, against women, against black and brown bodies, against children, against poor people, against all of us. It's so ingrained into the fabric of this country and now elected so explicitly to its highest office and upheld by all of these interlocking systems that keep a very few at the top with so much power at the expense of everyone else. The day that Donald Trump was elected, we turned to each other and wept knowing that this defeat meant four, and hopefully not eight, years of precious lost time in the fight against climate change that we just could not afford, as well as the countless other horrors we've seen his administration roll out since then. I remember being terrified for my own future and for the millions upon millions who would be hurt by this administration. But I also knew that as the young people of the richest, most powerful, country in the world who would be inheriting all these many interlocking crises, it was time for us to act. We knew we had to do something to shift the course of this country and contest politically for the change we need. Seeing so many young people politicized by the economic and political upheaval of the last decade or so, even before Trump was elected, the rising discontent with the establishment, we knew our generation was ready to get serious. So Sunrise was born. We were founded with the idea that it will take many, many thousands and thousands of us uniting together to build a movement that is big enough to call out the way our democracy and our climate has been polluted by big oil and to build a government that is actually of, by, and for all people, not just a few white wealthy men at the top. We started spreading across the country, sharing our message, doing trainings, doing road trips to see these ideas, building local chapters, including one here in the Bay Area, 
of students and young people who are transforming our outrage at a lifetime of inaction on climate into grassroots political power and making it clear to our elected officials that our generation will not settle for anything less than the bold, transformative action to stop this crisis and safeguard our future. And the way we're doing it is unusual. We're combining direct action and electoral organizing to create a strategy that calls out those responsible for the climate crisis while simultaneously shifting who holds power in this country. We're working to elect leaders who will have the courage to stand up for our generation's future and we're organizing thousands of young people to do it together because we know that our generation has a crucial role to play. Organizing through the identity of youth is an interesting thing. Our society tells young people, especially young women, that our opinions don't matter, that our voices don't matter, that we shouldn't be loud or cause a ruckus, and that we don't actually have the power to change the world around us. And yet, students and young people have always been at the forefront of movements for justice. We haven't yet been ground down by cynicism or able to hold on to the vision of a better world that we know is possible. And we've really seen the power of young people these last few years across our many, many movements. Watching the way this spark has spread across the country has been incredible. Seeing other young people stand up in town halls and fundraisers to call out our elected officials for accepting campaign donations, whether it's from the NRA or Exxon or for doing business with ICE, and seeing them interrupt halls of power where youth voices are not welcome. It's inspiring. It's moved us to dig deep and to take risks and to find the bravery inside ourselves to do the things that we know must be done, even though we should not have to be the ones to do them. About a month ago, many of us were part of an action outside of Governor Brown's office, calling on him to protect our generation's future and to stop approving new oil and gas wells and announce a plan to phase California off fossil fuels completely. I was one of six young people, all women and non-binary folks, who were arrested that day. We spent the night in jail, cold and scared and hungry and heartbroken, at seeing up close the way this country locks up our people. But knowing that we were doing the right thing and fighting for our generation and for all the future ones who have yet to come. One of the things that I love about Sunrise is the way we're changing the culture of our movements. We are unapologetic at our grief at what's being taken from us. We know it's important to hold space for the horror of what's happening. We are unapologetic in our anger that we have been left a total mess. And we refuse to accept that we are too young or that what we are asking for, a livable planet, which should be the most basic of inheritances, is too much to expect. But we're also unapologetic in our hope, and that's why we're called Sunrise. Despite all that's stacked against us, we believe a new day will rise. Some may want to call us naive, and in fact, some have. This past July, an 18-year-old Sunrise leader named Rose went to a town hall with Scott Wagner, a Republican candidate for a Pennsylvania governor. And after asking him uh, about whether the $200,000 in campaign contributions he had received from fossil fuel executives had anything to do with why he had made statements saying that climate change was caused by people giving off body heat, <laughs> he responded by calling her young and naive in front of a room full of people. 
Unfortunately for him, it was caught on video, and the hashtag young and naive went viral. <laughs> We're also getting real about the level of action that's necessary to combat the climate crisis and holding our elected officials accountable to a higher standard. Having a D next to your name doesn't cut it. We're demanding politicians stop accepting money from the fossil fuel industry through a campaign called the No Fossil Fuel Money Campaign that just this morning reached 1,000 candidates and elected officials who have signed the pledge. And one of the things I'm really excited about is having us all, our collective movement of movements, think about what it would take to make a plan to see us through the coming crisis and the coming transition. We all know it's going to be no easy feat. It will require massive efforts and investments to the tune of trillions of dollars over the next few decades as we transition towards a 100% renewable energy economy. We will have to overhaul how we farm, transport, and consume foods, how we re restore depleted ecosystems, and empower and protect the communities that already are already affected by the climate crisis. We believe it's time for a bold political vision that addresses climate change while also working to address the numerous issues of our time. Unemployment and underemployment, racial and gender inequality, and more. But for a long time, we've been fed the tale that we can't do these things all at once. We have to pick jobs or justice, a healthy economy or a healthy environment. But we're calling BS. We can fight climate change, create millions of good paying jobs and boost the economy and work to end racialized inequality. Sunrise is in, the deal, is in the process of starting to work on this through a Green New Deal or Green Jobs for All program that directs people to jobs that do the critical work of averting disastrous warming while also planning for the warming that cannot be avoided. A Green Jobs for All program would create two to three million jobs from green infrastructure alone. We could support displaced workers in the fossil fuel sector to transition to good paying jobs in other sectors and ensure that such a program lift up the communities who have been historically excluded from economic prosperity. Now is not the time for incremental steps, and we can't let ourselves give in to despair. It's time for change. It's time to fight like hell to protect each other and our generation's future. And when I look around at the thousands and thousands of other young people and women up there standing up and sitting in and organizing in our schools and communities, I know we're going to be the ones to make it happen. All right. Welcome back. You are listening to Full, Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA. That was Marissa Zuckerman, a representative of the Sunrise Movement, speaking at the Women's Assembly for Climate Justice on September 11, 2018. And again, we want to just take a moment to remind you that we are in the middle of our fall fundraiser here at KPFA, and we, the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, want to do our part to help get financial support for this beacon of hope and resistance that is KPFA and the Pacifica Radio Network. We're a group of volunteers that are learning radio broadcast skills and bringing you these important stories and issues. When you donate to, K donate to KPFA during the 7 o'clock hour, it shows that you support our work as well as KPFA as a whole. So give us a call at this time and show your support. 
Tonight, we're offering the KPFA Emergency Preparedness Kit, a go-to bag filled with emergency survival gear. It couldn't be more timely as we know that we just, uh, PG&E just shut off power to a whole lot of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. And what if this was due to a natural disaster? We may not get power or even water for a number of days. In this kit, you will find a two-person, three-day survival backpack. You can keep this on hand at home, at school, in the trunk of your car, or maybe at the office. And it can help you avoid being caught without necessary supplies. Each kit contains enough emergency supplies to sustain two people for three days. And it provides the three basic elements as recommended by the American Red Cross. Food, water, and emergency blankets for shelter and warmth are included in this very handy backpack. So please take a moment to go to kpfa.org and you can make a secure online donation there. Or give us a call at 1-800-439-5732. That's Hey 1-800-HEY-KPFA. So thanks to all your callers. Let's get back now to our show. But keep on calling, of course. <laughs> yeah. On the tail of this year's global climate protest led by youth worldwide this past s- September, let's go back in time. Last year, KPFA's first voice apprenticeship went out to the Rise for Climate Jobs and Justice March held on September 8th, 2018 to interview a wide variety of organizations. We broadcast live video as well as audio, so a big thank you to John Perulis of Bright Path Video for always providing us with great camera work and a video stream for KPFA. Here's one of those interviews. It's with Candy White of the Indigenous Environmental Network. She's interviewed by co-hosts Sharon Peterson and Andre Soto. I'd like to welcome to the to this broadcast uh, Candy White from the Indigenous Environmental Network. Welcome, Candy. Thank you. So, um, tell us about the Indigenous Environmental Network and where you come from and how you got here today. All right. How much time do we have? Uh, about twelve minutes. <laughs> so, IEN, you know, we've been around since 1990, sort of born under the American Indian Movement, really taking and continuing on the work that was happening, but con- continuing in a way where there's education around. What is environmental injustice? What is climate justice? What does all this stuff mean that's happening in our communities? So I started with IEN about 11 years ago now already. And so I'm from North Dakota. So Dosha, Marguerite, Marishima'a, Ishuia, Hits. And my head adds a language. I said, hello, relatives. My name is Eagle Woman. My English name is Candy White, recently married, formerly Candy yeah. Mossett. <laughs> and um, like I said, Amanda and Herradza Rikura grew up in North Dakota. Grew up on the Fort Berthold Reservation. And and I'm a cancer survivor. Had all these things around me always happening. People were always sick, and I just thought that was normal, you know, until I left the res, and all these people were like, how come everybody's sick? So I start questioning that. And like, dang, this doesn't happen to everybody? You know, this is just like brown people, black people, you know? And then that's when I started realizing that there's terms, there's terminology around it about what's happening to us. And so I started getting involved in, in natural resource and park management, environmental management and took off from there 
and started learning that there are people that make decisions on our behalf that aren't necessarily good people. They only care about money. You know, they only care about the bottom line. They don't care that our babies can't breathe. You know, they don't care that we're sick. They don't care that we're dying. And so... I don't think they even love their own children or grandchildren. They don't love themselves. they have to share this world. That's right. They do seem to love causing pain. They, they actually do seem to enjoy that. It's called sadism. Yeah. <laughs> they're very um, uneducated. That's how I feel about number 45. I feel like they're really dangerous people because they don't understand where they come from. They've lost their own blood memory. They've lost their own culture. And, and that's dangerous because if you don't have a sense of place, a sense of belonging, a sense of where you came from, you don't care about where you're going. That's what makes them so dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so what are some of the, uh, the history of the environment, Indigenous Environmental Network and what have been some of your current campaigns or actions? Well, we've been working a lot on all of these carbon trading schemes that they've been trying to do, these carbon market schemes. And so this Global Climate Action Summit. Cap and Trade. Yep. This was called together by Governor Jerry Brown and all those that are invested in Cap and Trade. It's based on emissions trading schemes. Mm -hmm. So what does that even mean? <laughs> How does that relate to people on the ground? It means they've turned pollution into a commodity. Yeah, they basically buy and sell pollution. Instead of keeping fossil fuels in the ground, not developing oil, not developing coal, and like causing a climate crisis, they want to see how, for example, they can buy a credit. So they're going to save a rainforest in the Amazon. They're going to fence off a section of the Amazon. And then the local indigenous people can't go in there no more. They're not even allowed to be in there. But they're saving it. Or they cut it all down. And then they build like um, monocrop monocrop plantations. Palm oil. Mm -hmm. And then they say, oh, we planted trees. After they destroyed the rainforests. Right. right? And um, then those trees are counted for the certain amount of carbon that they're going to suck up over their lifetime. And, and it's like... Theoretically. Oh, theoretically, right? Like, California is on fire half of the time. <laughs> and are they counting all the carbon that's going back into the air when these trees burn down? No, they're not counting that. So they buy a credit, and then North Dakota can continue with our nine coal-fired power plants, for example. Mm. They can pollute X amount because somebody bought a credit from a forest that they either, in theory, saved or planted a tree for. And so the devil's in the details when it comes to all these projects around reds or forest guardians or people that really truly believe this is going to bring good economy to their um, homelands and we've seen it over the past 12 years you know it's not like we even have to make any of the stories up you can talk to the folks from the Amazon you can talk to the folks from Ecuador and Brazil that have been directly impacted and you can hear their stories about how they're being targeted they're dying and then they meet us oh shoot you guys are dying too because of the pollution end of it oh shoot we should get together and connect and that's what we've been doing as IEN and that's why we're here at GCAS because they make it look pretty. You can go to their website, you know, Global Climate Action Summit, big wind turbines spinning, and it's all great. Well, no, we're talking about localized, sustainable, small-scale wind, small-scale solar, community gardens, bringing back the blood memory, that which makes us remember who we are. And you can't do that until you're reconnected with the land. That's what it's about. And I see how they get disconnected in the city. There's so much cement. You know, there's so many buildings. You don't necessarily even have to walk on grass on a daily basis. That's the problem. Too many people are disconnected from who we are as humanity and as human beings. We're a part of her. We say the mother because that's literally what every single cell in our body is made of. Our water, everything within us comes from the earth. 
And it's so funny how scientists are catching up now. They're like, did you know that if you stand on a patch of grass, all your body elements start like shifting around and you feel good? If you stand by a tree, you feel better? And it's like, really? <laughs> this is called traditional ecological knowledge <laughs> or common sense. Can you quantify that? I know, right? <laughs> so science is working to catch up to what we've known you know, for a long time as native people. And it's, I get it though. Colonization and capitalism seeks to control people. It seeks to brainwash people. Turn your TV on and believe that consumerism is the only thing there is. But there's this whole supply and demand with carbon markets and carbon trading. They want us to believe that we need what they say we need. You need to have a gas guzzling vehicle. Well, how come they even make them if we know they're killing us? Why doesn't every single household only have access to plug-in electric hybrid vehicles that they can plug into their own solar panel at their own house? Because nobody's going to make the money off of that if I have my own solar panel and I'm plugging it in and getting the energy from the wind. It's just like, why, I mean the sun. why are we distributing uh, instruments of war under the guise of self-defense? It's, well, that's, it's ludicrous. The history of wars is, revolves around oil. Mm. Right. You know, you, you're giving me a whole new picture of the term power grid. Mm-hmm. Um, grid as in rectangles, borders, binding us up. That's right. And we, they want us to stay connected to the grid because that's how they control the power and the money. That's how they know who has to pay for what. You know, but we're getting to the point where people ask me, well, what are we really talking about here? In California at GCAS, we're talking about survival. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we can't be beating around the bush anymore. We're literally talking about whether we as humanity are going to be smart enough to come together collectively and save ourselves, or we're all going to go down together. All right, welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM. That was Candy White of the Indigenous Environmental Network, recorded by us, the First Voice Apprenticeship Program at the Rise for Climate Jobs and Justice March on September 8, 2018, right there in the streets of San Francisco. Yeah, and when Candy White speaks of making connections with indigenous peoples from the Amazon and how both of their of these people's lives and health are being impacted by the same oil pollution. That is the intersection of issues that is creating a global movement. These are the kind of stories that that the First Voice Apprenticeship goes out and puts on the air. So if you appreciate access to these stories, please support us now during this fun drive by going online at kpfa.org or calling 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY. KPFA. So right now we're actually in a match, a $300 match, of which we have $160 mm-hmm. toward that match. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes. So please keep the um please keep the money coming and the donations coming and we Oh no, we're up to 180. All right. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you everyone. We really really appreciate it. So we're going to play some music, but you can keep going online and clicking or calling to keep the Keep the wheels turning here. So let's take a music break. Here's Ziggy Marley singing Dragonfly. Everybody's worried about time. Just keep that shit off my mind People living on 20th 
24 hour clocks But we're on a ride that never stops Hey, Mr. to be the world change But you remain the same And I wonder how you survive With the environment going down the drain Hey, Miss Dragonfly I see you look at me with your beautiful eyes Yes, two minutes. Uh, welcome back, everyone. This is Full Circle full circle right here on Pacifica Radio, KPFA. And that was Ziggy Marley with his environmental song, Dragonfly. And real quickly, we want to do a shout-out to the people who have been donating. Thank you, Kent in San Leandro, Anonymous in Oakland, Jason in San Francisco. That may be our apprentice, Jason, Group 45. Thank you. Andre in San Leandro. Judy in Oakland, Natalie in Oakland. Is that our Natalie? I hope so. And Daniel in Vallejo. And, you know, people are making sacrifices to their budgets to donate to us, and we really, really appreciate it. Thank you all very much. And we are at $180 of our $300 match, so keep it coming. But real quick, let's hear from another activist at the Rise for Climate Jobs and Justice March held in San Francisco in 2018. This is Annalisa Freitas from the People's Climate Movement. She is interviewed by our own Sharon Peterson and Flashpoint's Dennis Bernstein. We're here at the Rise for Climate, Jobs and Justice in San Francisco. With me is Dennis Bernstein. I'm Sharon Peterson. And maybe you could introduce yourself and tell us uh, who you sure are thing. and what you're doing here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. My name is Annalisa Freitas, and I'm the campaign coordinator with People's Climate Movement. And we're here because San Francisco is holding down our anchor action for the Rise for Climate, Jobs and Justice national mobilization. It's happening here in the U.S., but there's also many actions that are also happening globally as well. Let me ask you, what's at the core for you? Why are you here? Why do you think this is an emergency? Oh, it's absolutely beyond emergency, and I think it's been that way for some time because of the fact that, again, in our movement work, this is affecting people from not just those that have been um, fighting around environmental advocacy for some time, but it's actually been um, a really diverse movement of partners across labor movement, faith movements, youth and student movements. Um, there's been a lot of groups that have come together, and of course, our indigenous and front and fence line communities who are leading the march today in San Francisco um, have already been 
been experiencing uh, tons of life-endangering um, and actual death counts in their respective home areas across the country, um, and particularly when we're talking about an area like the like the California coast, um, you know, it looks like many people are already facing um, a huge amount of flooding, fires, um, the extremities of the weather that is happening is also uh, affecting people going to school. We're seeing that now at this time. Uh, it's become impossible pretty much for folks to live and to actually imagine a future um, where they can have a steady job, have a home that's not going to be in danger, um, and be able to have children, be able to uh, enjoy life as well. It's uh, now becoming, I think, a daily a daily warning where we're seeing issues with air, with, um, with weather, with transportation even. Uh, it feels beyond beyond control about this point and that's why we've brought together this really broad coalition. So how, what actions um, or policies does the movement coordinate and uh Sure, yeah. People's Climate Movement has been a really awesome project because we've been able to be a convener of many uh, viewpoints and many sectors. So our foundation has always been around uh, what is most important to these partners. And several of those platform points are, of course, a transition that is just um, being able to provide workers for real jobs uh, that are going to provide benefits. They're going to provide them the right to unionize that will bring family-sustaining wages when it comes to energy. We are fighting for 100% clean and renewable energy, um, and that transition needs to happen on a rapid timeline. Um, many of our uh, of our localized uh, advocacy this year is going to be based around what's happening in the various cities and states where we have major actions happening. Um, Miami has a really great action happening today. Uh, actually, on Thursday, New York kicked us off with a really awesome action as well. Um, we've been really fortunate and excited to be able to be the platform forming kind of the main foundation and allowing local communities to then uh, make it more detailed and specific based on what's most important for their local coalition and community. So how can people connect? with the movement, especially here locally. Sure, yeah. Um, I think wherever you are, it's been really awesome to see so much um, online activism. We actually have a really great website, peoplesclimate.org. We have a take action section where we're actually, f actually asking folks to volunteer now because this day of action, this Rise for Climate Jobs and Justice mobilization is not just the only moment that we're all working for. There's many groups that as well are looking towards how we're building political power and how we're going to then make our voices heard at the midterm elections in November. Um, so we're really asking folks to sign up, volunteer with us. We'll plug you into local campaigns that our partners are supporting on the ground. Um, Peoplesclimate.org is the best way to do that. And um, you can also take a look at all our social media channels. We're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, and there are links in our bios there that'll take you directly to the direct action page where you can sign up. And uh, one, I wanted to uh, add one follow-up what do you see the special role that young people can play and why are they so important in this movement? Young people uh, in this movement are extremely important for many reasons. I think one of the most compelling reasons right now is that uh, there is a sense of, as I mentioned before, that we are at a moment where it's not just we're getting close to a breaking point, but the, 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 the point has broken. Um, that there isn't any more time to waste. Um, I think people are, are really, really scared about what the future will hold and so 
people are bringing an intense sense of urgency, an intense sense of, a sense of fearlessness. Um, I think these folks are not waiting um, for elected leaders to do all the work. We're building our own solutions. Um, we're pushing to make sure that that leadership is represented in a diverse way. So I think uh, what the young people bring to the climate movement and to the people's climate movement in general um, is this sense of impatience that's uh, way, way, way welcome. Uh, we need that urgency, we need the energy, and we need uh, bold leadership that's going to move us into a new energy future. Welcome back to Full Circle. We just heard Annalisa Freitas of the People's Climate Movement recorded at the Rise for Climate Jobs and Justice March held on September 8th, 2018. Next, we'll hear from the poet, Kathy Jetnell Kilchner. She read her poem at the Women's Assembly for Climate Justice that was held on September 11th, 2018. Her mother, Hilda Heine, is the president of the Marshall Islands. These coral atolls in the South Pacific are already experiencing sea level rise and king tides that roll far inland. In the not-so-distant future, the islands are likely to be completely inundated by rising sea levels. I'm very fortunate that because of my performance at the United Nations Climate Summit in 2014, I've been able to enter more and more spaces and discussions on climate change using poetry and using my, my own personal experiences. And so this past summer, the Vatican invited me to write a poem for uh, one of their first conferences I think that they've had, major conferences they've had on climate change. And I don't know about you all, but I am not super religious. So I was... <laughs> struggling a little bit with what am I going to say? So um, I decided to focus on faith, faith in collective action and faith in our ability as as a movement to continue to fight. And so that's what this poem is about. Um, the poem also was written during the time when the news of migrant children being locked in cages was everywhere. And I'm sure like you all, I was devastated and just I couldn't turn away and so it found its way into my poem because I saw so much similarities between the two and so this poem is my attempt to connect these two issues um, and to sort of understand this climate issue on another level so it's called the whale and the birds Lately, my four-year-old daughter has been full of questions, her mind a bird swooping to peck at every fragment, scavenging to name, provide order, find answers to her surroundings. This is my house. I am Marshallese and Samoan. My favorite food is fish and rice, she states, identifiers that steer her through the biting salt of an unfolding world. Her questions challenge me, teaches me patience of breath, of count to three, closed eyes, and yes, embrace her curiosity. Give answers that are honest even if they are painful. Questions I am sometimes unable to answer, like when we watch the news and she hears my conversations and I have to say yes. Some people do believe that children can be illegal, and yes, some believe that families do not belong together. I must admit, I am haunted by the images of the soft brown of a child's skin against the cold iron of a cage so similar to my girls after the cold of a swim joyful trails of sand grasping the soft brown of her skin 
And is this not scripture waiting to be written? That islands that have until only 2030 to be habitable will create more children like these searching for safe harbor. How fate awaits us in boats as well. How hate looks like willful ignorance and a nation that forgets its own settler history. And a man with a whale of an ego is similar to the whale in the story I tell my daughter at night. The legend of the whale and the bird, a whale who balloons with arrogance, taunts the birds of the skies, deems itself dominant, powerful. Is it so much of a stretch to see the similarities between the cruelty of dominant policies, how over 2,000 children separated from their families is related to rhetoric that deny the reality of rising seas, how 1.5 becomes a horizon farther and farther to reach. So the questions that challenge me continue to circle around faith. Faith to continue to fight when hopelessness is so much easier. Easier instead to let reports of island apocalypse and malicious loss sink below the surface to the dark depths, dark places no one can reach. As I think this, I pass little boys on the corner, cloaked in the blinding white heat of another afternoon in Mejiro. Cars swoop past, unaware of these two who slam scavenged green coconuts against concrete, shirts drenched, mouths wide open. They gulp down the sun, wipe their lips, glare at me for my staring intrusion. And in that instant, my phone signals an article. 600 people in Washington arrested by Capitol Police for standing against the whale's treatment of migrant families. And I am reminded, again, of the legend of the whale and the bird. How thousands of tiny birds fluttered across the sky, gulped down every drop of the sea, leaving an arrogant whale beached, thirsting, forcing him to admit that yes, Smallness is a state of mind. And yes, an ocean begins with a single drop. And yes, maybe answers begin this way too. And yes, so too does faith. Thank you. Mm, yeah. Yes, yes. Welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM. We just heard that powerful poem come from poet Kathy Gentnell Kidgener from the Marshall Islands in the Pacific Ocean. The Marshall Islands actually are among the countries who have emitted the least carbon into the atmosphere. But within a generation or so, they could become climate refugees because of sea level rise. And that's why we are bringing you these stories tonight. KPFA and especially us, the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, go out to community events to record the voices of activists and historical events. We have been covering climate change for years, and we are a training program for women and people of color to learn media skills. The apprenticeship program is here to highlight voices of marginalized folks. And some recent programs have included the Indigenous Two-Spirit Community, a show about Tupac Shakur, internalized racism and healing, and we even covered our unhoused brothers and sisters in Antioch with the city council and advocates there. Please help support us with your donation right now. Give us a call at this time and show your support. Tonight, we are offering the Emergency Preparedness Kit, a go-bag filled with emergency survival gear. We see as a good portion of Northern and Central California just went without power. In this kit, you will find 
two-person, three-day supply backpack. You can keep this on hand at home, at school, in the trunk of your car, or at the office. And it can help you avoid being caught without necessary supplies. Each kit contains enough emergency supplies to sustain two people for three days. The three basic essentials are included as recommended by the Red Cross, and that is food, water, and emergency blankets for shelter and warmth. All come in a handy backpack. You know, I was thinking one of the really difficult aspects of covering the climate crisis, at least for me, and I think for many people, is finding a balance between fear and hope. So for me, what I've discovered in the apprenticeship program is that much of that hope comes from going out to record in the streets and finding out how many different groups are out there making connections with each other and making connections about our, the issues that intertwine with climate change and that need addressing to deal with these issues, such as income inequality, rampant greed, neoliberal capitalism, and colonial's impact around the world. Youth and adults are rising up worldwide, and that brings hope. So, you know, again, stories, I believe stories really make a difference and can make change for all of us and inspire us. So another hope we need right now is being supported by our listening community, and we really appreciate everyone who's called in so yes, far. Yes, yes, And you can continue... To call in or just click. It's very green to click uh, if you have uh, access to that at kpfa.org or you can call 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. And there's all kinds of gifts in addition to the emergency pack if you already have yourself organized, which I don't. But <laughs> maybe when I go home, Definitely. I'll get doing that. Um, you know, another thing is we have a USB drive that you can get for $150 that is, um, KPFA just had a 70th anniversary. And you can get uh, interviews with visionaries. There's June Jordan, Angela Davis, Paul Robeson, Thich Nhat Hanh, Lena Horne. The list goes on and on that you would get on that thumb drive definitely and uh we've got just about three minutes here if you can do this um give us a call 1-800-439-5732 that's 1-800-HEY-KPFA or you could make an eco-friendly donation by going to kpfa.org and click on the donate tab we got beanie bags we got t-shirts socks water bottles all for $10 a month. We got hoodies. Hey, the hoodies say KPFA on the front. And on the back, they say vigilant as always. Yeah, and a big shout out to uh, an anonymous donor from Antioch. Thank you very much. Got themselves a hoodie. And... Um, a big shout out to Antioch. That's where I'm from. If you have been a regular listener to Full Circle, you know I commute here from Antioch and do this work to bring you uh, the voices of the marginalized community, the voices that speak up for the climate, that speak for the water, for the trees, for the animals. So if you're out there in Antioch and you appreciate what we're doing, let us know right now by giving us a donation. You can click on kpfa.org and go to the Donate tab, or you can call 1-800-HEY-KPFA. And I want to just go through a quick uh, list of some of the broadcasts we've done because this climate rally was actually a video broadcast that broadcast alternatively, not on KPFA 94.1 FM, 
but on kpfa.org. And we have actually been doing video broadcasts for a decade now. We did our first video broadcast back in 2009, and that was the Iraq Veterans Against the War roundtable discussion about war and peace. We also, we also did a benefit for the 925 Gilman in Berkeley. That was in 2015. We had the big broadcast of Block the Boat. That was in 2014 when Palestinian activist and longshoremen banded together to refuse to unload and block the Israeli Zimline ships from docking. And then we also um, covered that again in October 2014 when the ship tried to come back. We did a broadcast in Casa Manana, a taco shop from one of our apprentices out there in Fairfield. And we brought you a poet's um, night. We broadcast May Day. And we did May Day in 2016, May Day in 2019. These were video broadcasts. You can go um, to kpfaapprentice.org after the show um, to check out a link for those. So that music means we're running out of time. We want to give a big shout-out to Miss M on the controls. A shout-out to Shanice in there doing the a tech assistant. And we have been your hosts, myself, Freewin Franklin. And Hannah Wilson. You have uh, 30 seconds left. Give us a call, 1-800-439-5732. 1-800-HEY-KPFA or kpfa.org. Thank you very much. Thank you for donating tonight. We appreciate it.